Welcome, welcome, everybody. Let's pray. Easter's coming. We've identified who we want to bring. We're asking God now to prepare their hearts that they would respond, say yes, and even when they do come, that the anointing of God would change and transform their lives. We're in a series entitled Engage. Say engage. Engage. We kind of couched it into this Star Trek theme. I remember back as a kid growing up, just to bring you in if you weren't here with us last week, um, I used to be a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager. Those were my two, but predominantly Jean-Luc Picard. And whenever they would begin the journey, whenever they would start the mission, whenever they would get going, he would say, engage, or he would say, make it so, one of those two things. And so that's kind of where we got the idea of the Star Trek. But that's what we're talking about, moving from thinking about it to doing it, moving it from just being knowledgeable of the truth to practicing the truth. Last week, we talked about engaging in the call of God on your life. If you were not here for that, I I highly recommend you go back, listen to the message, because God has put inside of you answers, wisdoms, anointings, and callings, and we must engage with it. We don't want to go to the grave not engaging with what God destined us to do on this earth. Amen. We want to get it all done so that we stand before him and we can hear the well done, good and faithful servant. That's right? Today we're going to talk about engaging with the enemy, spiritual warfare. Pastor Josue was mentioning earlier how praise is a weapon. I'm gonna share with you a few weapons today. I'm glad he brought that one out. That's not one of the ones I'll be sharing. I can't share them all. The Lord's given us a whole backpack full of weapons. And I have a few that I'm gonna bring out today, but I'm so glad that he focused on praise, worship, thanksgiving. All of that is a weapon. We were having dinner about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. And I told the kids, I said, man, it just felt like there's been a lot of spiritual warfare lately, just in some things that, you know, mom and I have been working on, doing. And I really appreciated the honesty of my teenagers, which they're always honest, they're very honest, sometimes too honest. Like, do you think we're getting older? Yes. <laughs> and they said, dad, what does that mean? You said that you've had some spiritual warfare going on. What does that even mean? And we had a great conversation about spiritual warfare, but I began to think to myself, I wonder how many people in our church or even watching online, you know, you hear some of those church phrases, spiritual warfare, and, and what does that look like? What does that mean? For some people, they might have this idea that the devil's behind every door, every corner, and he's just doing all this crazy stuff. Every time you get a flat tire, oh, that's spiritual warfare. Or every time someone cuts you off in traffic, I bind you devil, or something like that. You know what I mean? And so what is spiritual warfare? Well, first, let's just start to the scriptures, and let's just see the reality that spiritual warfare is something we're going to deal with on this side of eternity. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. The Bible tells us here, this is the Apostle Paul teaching the church. Let's remember the context. We look at it as just reading our Bibles, but Paul the Apostle is teaching early Christians about life and godliness. He's teaching them about what they have available to them. He's teaching them about their identity, their authority, and awareness about what's going on in the unseen realm. So this is all part of a church who said yes to Jesus, and this is all new to them, right? And so he's explaining things. That's where we are today. Ephesians chapter six, I'm explaining to some of you some things 
things maybe you did or did not know. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, the final word, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. How many of you know your power is in God, amen? It's God's power through you. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about your earthly power or your earthly resource to defeat the enemy. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, amen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are greater than the enemy because you're in Christ and Christ is greater than the enemy. He's already defeated him. So it's God's mighty power in you. Verse 11, put on all the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. This is your Bible talking. There are strategies that the devil has set up to get you off course, to distract you, to get you to say yes to things that are gonna steal, kill, and destroy from your life. Are you understanding this? It's not just one strategy, there's multiple strategies. He's, he has a designed way to try to attack our lives and the call of God on our lives. Amen. Put on all God's armor so you can stand against all the strategies of the devil. And let me just say this, according to the scripture, you have the ability to stand against every single strategy the devil throws at you. There's not one strategy, plan, attempt of the enemy that God hasn't already given you the power and the ability to withstand and overcome. Amen. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And so the Bible is trying to help us see here very clearly that there is a spiritual wrestling, there is a spiritual warfare, there is a spiritual battle, and there are weapons and there is armor and all these things that God has given us. But today I just wanted to bring that reality to us. There are some people that are like, well, I don't believe that there's a devil and I don't believe in spiritual warfare. The devil has no problem if you don't believe he's there. It makes his job a lot easier. But our Bibles, our Bibles very clearly is trying to open our eyes to the reality of an unseen enemy, of strategies and designs, of attacks that come upon our lives to try to steal, kill, and destroy us. And we must be aware that they're there. And we must engage. We must get involved. We must begin to do what God has called us to do to resist the devil and make him flee. There should be a big amen right there somewhere. There are two extremes. One. Everything is spiritual warfare. That's an extreme. <laughs> Everything is not spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's just people being people. Sometimes it's just living in a fallen world. Come on. Sometimes it's just, you know, just stuff, just stuff. Everything is not spiritual warfare. That's an extreme. Everything is spiritual warfare. Everything is the devil. But then there's another extreme. And that extreme is nothing is spiritual warfare. Nothing is the devil. Everything is just natural. Everything is just circumstance. And the Bible wants you to be balanced. Can I get an amen on that? The devil's very cunning. He is very persuasive. Let's not forget that when we look into the book of Revelation chapter 12, that we see this image of the dragon. And when he falls from heaven, he brings a third of the stars with him. Most theologians believe that's a reference to the angels that the enemy brought with him when he fell, that he deceived. So if he can be that persuasive to persuade a third of heaven to join him, then we need to be aware of his devices and strategies. Are you hearing me, church? 
Don't think yourself too logical, too brilliant, too wise that the devil cannot deceive you. One of the greatest, I think, attacks the devil has is this thing in our lives where we think, oh, I am, I am not able to be deceived. I am too smart. I think there's this wonderful safety in knowing that it's possible that I can be deceived. Therefore, I stay leaning upon God and his Holy Spirit to keep me from deception. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, I want to say this because we're not afraid of the devil. I am not afraid of the devil, but I am aware of him. Okay. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he canceled the record of our charges or sins against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed, say disarmed, took away the weapon that the enemy had. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I think it's wonderful that the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on the unseen realm of rulers. Sometimes we're only looking at the physical flesh world and we see people in position of authority or power on those mountaintops that we discussed. But the Bible isn't really concerned about those individuals because there's a spirit behind them. There's principalities and powers behind them that are more ancient and more powerful than the ones we see in the natural. Which is why our weaponry can get right behind the closed doors and get right into the spirit realm, which is calling those shots. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's why you never despise, you never belittle time in prayer because that time in prayer is that secret entrance point into those spirit realms and you release the word and power of God into those places. Isn't that awesome? It's like the stealth bomber that the enemy's radar cannot find or stop and all of a sudden God's word is released into a place and into a situation. It's awesome. He canceled the record of our sins. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The devil has been defeated. His weapons have been taken from him against you. He was defeated at the cross. Amen. So now when we engage in spiritual warfare, it's not about like us trying to defeat the enemy. He's already defeated. It's us enforcing the victory that Jesus already purchased on the cross. Are you hearing me, church? This is not a battle that we have to win. It's a battle that we stand upon, a, a victory we stand upon and we declare. Are you understanding? Amen. I do want us to realize that even Jesus had to contend with the devil. That's important. Jesus contended with the devil in the desert when he was tempted. Jesus contended with the devil in demon-possessed people. Jesus contended with the devil even inside of wicked Pharisees that were sounding religious and speaking a lot of confusion and opposition against him. Jesus contended with the devil. Why do you bring that up, Pastor Kevin? Well, it's because it's important that we realize that battling the enemy is a part of the journey we have on this side of eternity. And when you do have to engage in spiritual warfare and the enemy is opposing you, we don't take the position that maybe, maybe we're doing something wrong because all of a sudden we're having to contend with the devil. The devil's attacks are many times because you're doing something right. Are you hearing me, church? It's not that there's something wrong with you, but it's that you're all of a sudden infringing upon his territory. 
You're beginning to stepping into the land the Lord has given you and you're believing that God gave it to you and you're taking something away from him that already belongs to you, but he didn't want you to be aware of it and he liked it when you were in ignorance. And so you realize that, hey, if Jesus had to contend with the enemy, then there's a good chance us, the body of Christ, will have to contend with the enemy. It's just a part of the journey. Warfare, the presence of battles or opposition doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. I said that earlier. Matthew chapter four, verse one, and you can also find the similar instance in the book of Luke, I believe, chapter four, where Jesus was tempted of the enemy in the wilderness. Again, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where then he had to contend with the enemy, Jesus. But then you can also see Acts chapter 16. I'm just giving you a lot of verses today. I would encourage you to go back and read them throughout the week. But I want you to see the reality that good people, godly people, have had to deal with and contend with the enemy. Acts chapter 16, 16 through 26, you see Paul and Silas having to contend with the enemy with this fortune teller that comes up and she's distracting from their message. She's, she's saying something that sounds godly, but it's really more of a distraction. So people begin to see her rather than hear the message, or maybe they don't go out to the services because this person keeps causing a disruption in the services, even though they're saying spiritual things. So the enemy's kind of hidden in that. And Paul has to rebuke the spirit inside of this fortune teller. They get arrested for setting her free because she made a lot of money for her masters because she was a slave to them and made them a lot of money. And so the owners of this slave girl arrested them for lack of profit. And so then they're put in prison, which their praise and worship then goes up to heaven as a weapon, praise God, breaks the chain, sets them out of prison. There's an earthquake, it's an awesome story. But I want you to see that they were opposed for doing something right not doing something wrong. Let's talk about some of the spiritual warfare that we can experience and what it feels like just for a minute. Some of the, there's lots of ways, but I wanted to focus on a few to kind of help you become aware of spiritual warfare that could be happening in your life. Number one, temptation, write that down. Some warfare can be experienced as temptation. Temptation can be greed, the temptation of self-centeredness, Temptation of craving more to possess more than you ought, you should. First John chapter two, verse 15 through 17 says it like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. The Bible actually brings these temptations into three categories. Say it after me, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, the pride of life. This is not of the Father, it's of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Let me break down these three lusts, okay? Just to kind of give you some idea of temptation, some idea of how the enemy may use some strategies against us. Lust of the eye. Another word that might help us with lust of the eye might be covetous covetous, an inordinate, excessive desire for something, an excessive desire for something. You can covet wealth. Money is not bad. The Bible says it's the love of money that becomes the root of all evil. Are you understanding this church? 
God blessed people with money throughout the generations, Abraham, David, Solomon, so many people that God has prospered. He promised all of Israel that they would be provided for and have abundance of you know, food and, and cattle and, and protection and blessing. It's not the money, it's this obsessiveness about money. Money becoming our God, that's that spirit of mammon. Are you understanding? Where we want money beyond everything else. People will sacrifice their family because they want more money. People will sacrifice their time with God even on a Sunday in church because they gotta go make more money. Money, money, money. An unhealthy relationship with money. Covetousness, an excessive desire for wealth or any possessions, an excessive desire for wealth, possessions, something that belongs to someone else. It could be their spouse, it could be their home, it could be their car, it could be their career. It could be something, but some lust of the eye, an out of control desire for something. Jealousy comes into that play as well. Lust of the flesh, say lust of the flesh. When our earthly desires get out of control, it could be for food an unhealthy relationship with food. That's the lust of the flesh. It could be sex, an unhealthy drive for sexual pleasure, even moving into perversions. It could be for money. It could be for other people's approval, an unhealthy desire that I have to get other people's approval. I need their attention. I need them to like me. These are all part of the lust of the flesh and they can all be used by the enemy as strategies to steal, kill and destroy from your life. An unhealthy desire for money, an, a covetousness, an unhealthy desire for fame, for position, for material things, unhealthy desires for anything, food, sex, approval, all of these things which, which God puts a need for food in us, but then it can get out of balance. God puts a sexual desires within us but then it can get out of balance. And then the pride of life. Pride of life is this self-worship. You're your own God. You may not say it that way, but, but you make sure that this is the center of the universe right here, you. And everybody and everything revolves around your happiness, your pleasure, your approval, all those things. Self-promotion, arrogance, greed. These temptations fall within these categories and there's a lot of ways they can be expressed. But here's the good news, say good news. First Corinthians chapter 10, I love it. The temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. God is faithful. He will not allow you the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out. He will show you a way out. So we can never say that there's a greater temptation that I couldn't say no, that temptation was too much. I couldn't resist it. The Bible says sin no longer has dominion or dominance over us. That's good church. And that's important because temptation will come. The Bible says that. Woe to the one of who which it comes. Which I'd like to say something there. I wasn't planning on saying that, but I think it's important. I just got a little aha from the Lord and I'm gonna share it with you. We've built a culture, let's talk about sexual temptation. Wasn't planning on camping on it, but we might as well. We've built a culture where people feel empowered and they feel valued. They feel some sort of draw to be the sexual desire of someone else. Let me say, I'm trying to, I wasn't planning on saying this, so I may get it off, so forgive me. 
What I'm trying to say is the Bible says that temptations will come, but woe to the one by who they come. That word woe is a word of judgment. Are you hearing me, church? And so when we buy into the lie of the enemy that says that I should somehow showcase my body and by showcasing my body become the sexual desire of somebody else, are you hearing me? That that is condemned by the scripture. So in our world, when we're like, it makes us feel good or important when people think we're sexy. Now I'm not talking about your spouse. I mean, hallelujah for your spouse, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise God. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get off, I don't want to say something I'm going to regret in a minute, but you know, <laughs> like hallelujah. I want, my, I want Maria to turn my head. I do, but I don't want her turning everybody else's head. For, some, for something in her to feel. But we've created a culture where now our young people think that's the goal. How many heads can I turn? How many people can I get to think I'm attractive, sexually attractive? They wouldn't say it, but it is. Including guys, let's just not just put this on girls, including guys. I'm just saying that we need to be cautious and we shouldn't buy into the lie that says you want to be the center of someone's sexual attraction. Amen. You save that for your spouse. And then when you guys are together, you go for it, man. All right. Hopefully I didn't break any rules on that. I, I, I thought I was pretty in the lines there. Less of the eye, less of the flesh, pride of life. There's no temptation that God won't give you a way of escape. There's a door, there's a way out. Look for the door. There's always a door out. Amen? Let's move on. Oppression. These are some of the things I wanted to talk about. Some of the things when my kids were like, what is spiritual warfare? What does it look like? It could be temptation driven, but a lot of times for myself, especially in ministry, there can be this sense of oppression, heaviness, this unnatural heaviness that's weighing on you, almost like a suffocation. I've walked in even to this sanctuary, especially when I first started, and there were times where I could barely pray because of the oppression that I felt in this room. And we have spent years, that's why I love our Wednesday night prayer meeting, seven o'clock every Wednesday. We have spent years wrestling and rebuking and casting out and dealing with things that are out of alignment and bringing them into alignment. Are you hearing me, church? So that when you come into this body, that heaviness, that oppression, that suffocation is no longer here. And I don't believe it is here anymore. I believe we have the victory on that. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you can go into your home, you can go into a workplace, you can go into a school, and you can sense a heaviness, you can sense an, an oppression, a suffocation where it almost is like you can't speak. It's this spiritual dynamic that's trying to silence and suffocate you. Maybe not in the natural, but you can feel it in here. It can, you can also feel it through pre churches or places or religious individuals who use, and I don't mean that disrespectfully because I understand that for some, that idea of religion, there are some positive emotions towards that word religion, but then there's others with negative emotions towards that word religion. But if you look through the scripture, there are religious figures and religious leaders who use their position and use the law to abuse. 
to overly control, overly manipulate, to bring you to a place of worshiping them and obeying them even more than God, fearing their approval more than God's approval. And so there's a oppression even when the law of the, the law of the Old Testament is used in a way that is bringing more oppression upon the body of Christ versus the, the grace and liberty found in Christ Jesus. Are you understanding that, church? Amen. But I want to know that I want you to realize there are, there is a reality of spiritual warfare that feels like oppression. And if you've been walking around in this unnatural heaviness, in this unnatural oppression, this cloud that's been upon you, then we need to engage the enemy to resist him and make that thing flee. What I'm saying is sometimes we have the opinion that that's just life. This heaviness has been around so long. Every time I go to work, every time I go to that church, every time I walk on that campus, this is just normal. It's just a season or whatever. If we don't engage the enemy and resist the enemy and make him flee, then that thing can last far longer than it needed to. Because we're so naturally minded, we're not aware that, hey, this could be spiritually motivated. Persecution and intimidation would be another one, another attack of the enemy, another strategy of the enemy. We talked a little bit about that last week, but I want to remind you, there are spirits behind even individuals. Sometimes we think this is a person, but I have throughout ministry seen a spirit of intimidation, of bullying, of control and manipulation. I've seen that spirit of persecution, intimidation jump from one person to another. Where you're like, if I could just remove that one person from the mix, it'll all be okay. And so that person is removed, praise the Lord, for one reason or another. And I'm like, oh, it's great. But then a week later, you find that same sound coming out of someone else's mouth. It's because it was never the person. It was the spirit behind them. Persecution, intimidation. That spirit sounds like and that strategy comes across making you feel small. These are ways to identify these things. Stuff coming out of people's mouth. But it's not really the person. It's something inside of them, behind them. And they, they just consistently make you or what God's doing, they consistently bring it down to make you feel small to feel weak, helpless. It's the spirit trying to intimidate to make you cower, to make you quit, to shut you up. Are you hearing me, church? To make you feel helpless. Where you're even beginning to question even that call of God. But this is all throughout scripture. It's not real, it's, it's a spiritual thing. I mean, it's real, but it's, it's not something that's the way you think it's real. You can go all the way back into the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Please write it in your notes. Numbers, chapter 13. When God had told the children of Israel, it's time to go possess the land. Time to go possess the promise. I have called you. This is it. Man, go get your territory. Go take the land. And so they went and they spied it out and they came back and they saw the giants. And all of a sudden they began to deal with these mind games, say mind games, about themselves, about their own ability, about their own capacity to do what God's already told them to do. 
And this is what they said. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Talking about the people who lived in the land, the giants, the cities. He said, we're like grasshoppers. The whole group thought this. We're like grasshoppers to them. We're nothing but bugs. They were the children of God. They live with God. They see his fire at night and his cloud by day. God had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Come on. But yet something here began to intimidate them, began to make them second guess and question themselves. And their self-image began to be pressed down. Amen. Mind games. This can happen through a person or even a group of people. It's not always just one individual. It could be a group like the Pharisees or a group of religious people that try to press it down. I would like you to do a study at some point. I give you a lot of Bible verses and I know you can't get them all here in church, but I would love for you to go to Acts chapter 13 and read Acts chapter 13 through 14, both chapters at some point. And I want you to see in these two chapters how successful Paul and his companions were as they preached the gospel. The Bible says the whole city was coming out to hear the word of the Lord. That's pretty awesome. I mean, the whole city, people heard that gospel message, heard that good news message. The whole city came out for it. But then the Bible goes on to say that the religious leaders got jealous because they were going to lose control over the people. And so they began to stir the people up against Paul and his companions. And so Paul would preach and there would be groups of people that would resist him, that would try to shout him down, that would confront him and conflict with his message daily. And Paul had to contend with that. That wasn't just those people. There's a spirit behind that. It's the enemy trying to keep the gospel from going forward. So then what would happen? They would go to another city. This is what I want you, why you need to read both of those chapters. They would go to another city. And then all of a sudden, people from the old city would come into the new city and stir up more trouble against Paul and Silas, everywhere they, or against Paul and his companions, everywhere they went. And they would begin to go and just continue to cause trouble, trying to stop them, trying to intimidate them, trying to second guess their calling, second guess their message and stir up all these people saying, they're not preaching God's word, they're wrong, they're out of it. Are you seeing this church? And this is towards Paul. This is towards the early apostles. Amen. And the God, God told Paul that my grace is sufficient for you. He was gonna help him with these thorns in his flesh. Praise God. Let's talk about uncommon sickness and infirmity that shows up. We need to take care of ourselves, eat right, exercise, do what we can. But then you know what the Bible does discuss and talk about spirits of infirmity. Not every sickness is a spirit, I get that. But there are some sicknesses that are rooted in a spirit. Amen. And there's times that we have to cast out that spirit of infirmity. Amen. Sometimes we get so naturally minded, we don't even come and ask for prayer anymore. We're like, no, the doctor said this, and I've got all these meds, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this, and this. Have we even considered the idea that it could be a weapon that has been fashioned against you physically? I'm not saying don't go to doctors. I'm just saying, let's do both. <laughs> let's, let's go to the doctor, but let's not forget 
that some of these weapons, some of these attacks physically can be spiritually designed. There's a pastor that I, go ahead, you can clap without that, sure. Look, this is gonna happen to all of us. I heard a, a message by Robert Morris, his pastor of a great church in Texas. His wife was going through some multiple sickness things. It would seem like one thing after another. Remember what I said, unnatural sickness patterns. One thing after another. And the Lord just got his attention one day and he said, and I, I'm gonna not quote it perfectly, so please don't tell Robert if you know him. Pastor Kevin said you said this. I don't know that I'm saying it 100% right. But something to this effect, he said, I didn't even consider that it was a spiritually driven sickness that was going on in my wife. Like he just forgot. This is a pastor of a beautiful church. And the Lord reminded him of the idea of spiritual warfare. And he began to pray over his wife's healing and began to quote the word and began to rebuke the devil off of her. Amen. They began to see the change in the victory. But he was just saying the reality of, I completely even forgot about spiritual warfare. And here I am a pastor of a church because you can get into this habit of just, oh, it's just sickness and this is just what happens and this is just what getting older is or this is whatever. And there's no addressing of it in spiritual weaponry. Are you hearing me? There's an engaging, engaging the enemy in resisting him and making him flee. Unnatural confusion would be another one. Again, this can be through a group of people. It can be you personally. It can be dissension in a group. It can be an, a stirring up, a cloudiness, a cloudiness to the vision, an inability to understand. My friends, this is real. I'll give you scripture. You can look them up later. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 4. It's saying that everything should be done and decently and in order because God is not the author of confusion. John 8, 43. We can go here and listen to this one. John 8, 43. I just want you to hear this. Are you getting anything out of this church so far? John 8, 43. It says this, Jesus was talking um, to the Pharisees, to the people, and he's saying in verse 45, why can't you understand what I'm saying? You can't even hear me, for you are children of your father, the devil. The devil can put a cloud, blocks in people's ears, blinders on their eyes, where even Jesus, he's like, why can't you even understand me? You can't even hear me. This is the word of God, Jesus himself in the flesh, God's word in the flesh speaking. But their eyes are blinded, their ears are stopped up because of the enemy's influence upon their life. And sometimes we have to Remove that, let's bind that thing, let's cast it out, let's break the enemy's strongholds. That's why we do intercede and we do pray. Paul prayed consistently for people's ability to know, understand and know the gospel. Why would he do that? Look at the book of Ephesians. He says, I pray continually that you would know the hope, that you would see and understand what's been provided. It's because there's spiritual warfare that can blind the minds, blind the ears. And so we pray that God opens your eyes to see, your ears to hear, so that you can receive truth and it doesn't get all jumbled spiritually on the inside or clouded or that it can't get through. Maybe that's a prayer you can begin to pray over yourself, especially if you're reading the Bible and you're like, I can't understand this thing. Yes, you can. 
That's a lie of the enemy that says it's too difficult for you. No, you've been designed by God. Your brain is capable of knowing the word of God and understanding it. We might need to find a translation that's easier for you to read, but you can understand the scripture. And you can understand sermons and you can understand teaching and discipleship. Amen. You have the capacity. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33. Some more verses there talking about how the enemy can get in and confuse. Overwhelming financial pressure can also be a spiritual attack. More than normal wear and tear and cost of things. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And we can resist the enemy. We can identify this is a spiritual attack. We can even sow a special offering or a special seed by faith and say, I break that attack over our family in Jesus' name. And you begin to stand on the promises of God. Amen. The weapons of our warfare. Let's just give you a few of those weapons quickly. We each have our battles and weapons are made available to us to overcome. Just a couple of the weapons, a few weapons, the word of God. Please write it in your notes. The word of God. Let me give you why the word of God is a weapon. Why the Word of God is a weapon. The Word of God is a weapon because it will wash your thinking. The devil speaks lies. The world speaks lies. You begin to believe lies about yourself, about your calling, your ability. The Word of God is the truth. Say truth. Amen. That's why this consistency of God's Word going in is a weapon. Because as confusion is sowed into your life, as lies are sowed into your life, as doubt is sowed into your life, suspicion, whatever that people try to unstabilize us from our calling and mission, the Word of God continues to renew our mind to God's thinking, speaks the truth so we can determine lie and truth. It washes our mind. Another reason the Word of God is a weapon is because you can speak it. That's also engaging. Say engage. The word up here is powerful. The word in here is powerful. And the word coming out of here is powerful. It's the sword of the spirit, the Bible says. It's the sword the spirit uses. If so, if the Holy Spirit uses the word of God as a sword, then it's good enough for me. Somebody say amen. amen. How many times are you speaking the scripture about a situation or in an attack, in a financial attack, in a health attack, in the, you know, the confusion, conflict, persecution, temptation attacks. Are you speaking the word? Is it coming out of your mouth? Engaging, using it. It doesn't do any good just sitting on the shelf. Amen. In Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he spoke the word. He didn't just have it in his heart. He didn't just have it in his head. He didn't just believe it internally. He spoke it out of his mouth. Somebody, please get excited about that. That's a really powerful thought. Wash your mind with the word. The spoken word from the Bible is is a weapon against the enemy in situations. The word is also a weapon because it generates faith. When you begin to doubt, when you begin to fear, the word brings faith and it refuels your faith. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All of us are depleted sometimes, especially when you're fighting a big giant, you're fighting a big battle. Our faith meter can go down. Our faith fuel tank can go down. Put the word of God back in and watch the faith tank rise. Don't try to fight on an empty tank. Amen. 
This is weaponry. This is spiritual warfare. It generates faith. It keeps the hope alive. Those Bible stories will keep speaking to you. The David and Goliath story will come back to you. Daniel and the lion's den will come back to you. Amen. Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Some of you need to walk on some water and that will come back to you because it's in you. Amen. It keeps your spirit fed and strong in the battle. Number two, prayer. So the word of God is a weapon. Another weapon is prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is talking about prayer requests. Prayer requests are great. Don't be anxious about anything, but through everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your needs be made known to God. Prayer is a weapon and we do have needs and we do have concerns. And so we, it's totally appropriate to let God know your needs. He knows you need him. Sometimes we feel bad going to God with our needs because we're like, well, I already asked for this. Can I ask for this? Ask for anything you need. Let your request be made known to God. He's never offended that you're coming to him in faith, asking for his help. So prayer is taking the things that concern you and lifting them up to the Lord. And I again ask us the question, have we really prayed about whatever it is we're battling through right now? So many times we talk more about praying about it than we actually pray about it. We're telling everybody else about it. That's not like telling God about it. We put it on Facebook. We took an hour to write your post about your problems on Facebook. And you didn't even spend five minutes talking to Jesus about it. Come on, you even got photos of the problem. Didn't even take five minutes to talk to Jesus about it. Amen. We didn't engage with the one that can help us. Prayers, casting your care and fear onto God. First Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. That's spiritual warfare. Not just walking around with the care of the world, not just walking around with anxieties over it, but you give those anxieties to the Lord. But I also want to get you into binding and loosing. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Now it's getting real. Matthew chapter 18, 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind, knock, whatever you bind on earth, which means lock, forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit, which is open or loose on earth will be permitted in heaven. We have the responsibility and the authority to bind things and loose things. And for some of us, that's not a common practice. But if you begin to sense a spiritual enemy influencing an area, an oppression, persecution, temptation, you have every authority by scripture to say, I bind that thing. I bind that spirit of intimidation. I bind that oppression. I bind that thing that's been provoking and attacking and draining our finances. Whatever strategy or weapon of the enemy right now, I break that weaponry right now. I bind it in Jesus' name. Are you hearing me? And you don't have to have someone else do it for you. You're a body of Christ part, amen. Amen. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. That authority to bind and loose is in you. So what do you lose? I lose the blessings of God that have been hindered by some spiritual activity. I lose the growth and the wisdom and the truth and the knowledge that I need to do what God has called me to do in this situation. Amen. I bind and I loose. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help you know when to bind, when to loose. But it's important that this is something you're aware that you can do. You can do, you can stop the enemy in his tracks. You can bind him from his attacks. You can bind him from his hands upon the things that God has called you to do. 
When you sense the presence of the enemy, you can bind him, cast him out, and you can loose the word of God over that situation. Last weapon that I'll share with you today, last weapon. It's not one that you might consider spiritual weaponry, but I believe it was supposed to bring it to your attention. It's simply this, doing good. Consistency. The Bible also says, after having done all to stand, stand. That's spiritual warfare. You being immovable on what God has promised. I love the, the praise and the worship and the binding and the loosing and the speaking scripture. But one of the strongest weapons we have is this ability to stand firm. The ability to stand firm. God said it, I believe it, it's done. And I will not be moved by what I see. I will not be moved by what I feel. I will not be moved by what other people are saying. I will not be moved by circumstances. I will not be moved. Amen. You're a house built on the rock, which is the word of God. Though the storms and the winds come, you are not up and down, here one day, gone the next, through thick and thin, you're sound and solid. Amen. Doing good is spiritual warfare. Sowing seeds of righteousness day in and day out and day in and day out will reap a harvest. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 12, verse 21, don't be overcome, don't let evil conquer you. Don't be overcome by evil, that's what the Bible says. But conquer evil by doing good. Don't be overcome by evil, overcome that evil by doing the right thing. You know, when the devil tempts you to do the wrong thing, to react, to lash out, and you choose to stay consistent and to speak the truth in love. You choose to forgive when you don't wanna forgive. You choose to give your offerings and your tithe when you're afraid of the future, but yet you're choosing and you're walking in obedience and you're consistently doing what God has called you to do. Are you understanding this church? Don't be overcome by evil. Evil will tempt us, tempt us to step out of our calling, tempt us to, to take more than what belongs to us, tempt us to get drawn into situations we shouldn't be drawn into. Don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil by doing good. It doesn't just say, say no to evil, it says plant the seed of doing the right thing. Sometimes we stop at just saying no, like no, but we have to sow the seed of the right action. Amen. Staying consistent, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. That's sowing good seeds. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Plant the, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will reap a harvest of love. Plant the good seeds of righteousness, your righteousness, your works of righteousness. And then the familiar passage of scripture that you can go back to, Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. The Phillips translation says, a man's harvest in life is based entirely on the seeds that he sows. If you sow to the spirit, you reap of the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. But you can be sure of this. If you sow the right seeds, you will reap a harvest from those seeds. Sowing seeds of righteousness, doing the right thing because it's the right thing, in season and out of season, when it's popular and it's not popular, when you feel like doing it, when you don't feel like doing it, that is spiritual warfare. Consistency, standing, that is spiritual warfare. Can I hear a big amen on all that? Go ahead and stand, let's close in a word of prayer. Let me pray this over your life. 
Let me pray this over your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for making us aware of spiritual dynamic and realities. I thank you, God, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. I thank you that we're aware of the devil's devices and strategies. And Lord, I pray you help us to use the weapons you've given us to engage the enemy, to make him flee. Lord, if there's been things going on in our lives that we've been letting the, the devil walk all over us, steal, kill, and destroy, and we have not even attempted to push back, it's time to push back on the enemy. God, I thank you that he can't have our homes. He can't have the call of God on our lives. Lord, he can't have the promises that you've promised us and you paid for them in your own blood. He cannot have them. Lord, I ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we know not to make everything out to be spiritual warfare. We get that. It's just reality. It's sometimes it's just life. But Lord, help us to have a discerning of spirits inside of us. That's a spiritual gift. And help us to be able to discern when that spirit is the enemy that's working and help us to engage. I thank you that this church is moving forward. Their lives are moving forward. The promises and callings of God on their lives is moving forward. Lord, I give you thanks for all the weapons that you've given us and the future where we're going. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Can you give God praise for all that church? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I wanna give you an opportunity today to receive Jesus as your savior. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every one of us needs a savior. The wages of that sin, the penalty, the price is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today we wanna to give you an opportunity to call on the Lord to save you from sin and save you into the family of God. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads for the next 30 seconds, I'm gonna to count to three. And when I say three, I'm just gonna ask you to be courageous enough if you are not right with Jesus to just raise your hand right where you are at your seat and we'll pray a prayer. Maybe you say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life I ever made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. We can do that today. Or you may say, you know, I used to have a relationship with God, but I know it's not where it should be. I've grown cold, I've walked away, but I would sure like a restart. If that's you today, then when I say three, just raise your hand and we'll pray a prayer right where you are. Ready? Let's get things right with Jesus. One, two, three. If that's you, would you please just raise your hand right where you are and we will pray for you today. Just put it up and we'll be able to pray with you. There's a hand right there in the middle. There's a hand in the front. Anybody else today? You know you're not where you should be with the Lord and you'd like to get right with God today. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, church, let's pray for those two, anyone watching online and anyone else that may just didn't raise their hand, but yet they're still wanting to make that call unto the Lord. Pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Be my God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Would you celebrate those two, please? Welcome home. Congratulations. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.